Okay, Bo and KD, today we're in lesson four of Preach My Gospel. And this is the one where when I first start reading it, it sounds it sounds like the kind of stuff that we would teach in the Christian church. It's a, it actually reminded me, guys, of lesson seven, lesson eight, lesson seven and eight in the pursuit, where we talk about baptism and we talk about once you become a Christian, you, you know, you live to honor God and all the, you know, spiritual disciplines and all that kind of stuff. Is that a good summary of what we're talking about in lesson four? Yeah, it's a pretty good summary. I think there's a few extra things we're probably going to talk about um, in terms of commandments and stuff. But yeah, the the intent of this lesson as a missionary is to get people uh, comfortable with the idea of living a godly life, keeping the commandments, and uh, some of the, the requirements that they'll be expected to live by as a member of the church. Yeah, and so again, on 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 one level, I list, I look at some of this, I'm like, I, w- I would tell people to pray, to read the Bible, to get baptized. But on another level, and we'll save this for the end, on another level, like what what is behind all of this is what's really the problem. And we'll get to that because what the 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 main difference, and it, it's not really, I don't think it's explicit in the lesson as I read through the missionary handbook for this, but it's, de- it's definitely explicit to you guys, p- people coming out of Mormonism, that what's behind this is very different than how Christians view the commandments. But we'll save that for the end, kind of really what the main difference is. Why don't we just kind of start here at the beginning by, by covering some of these big talking points. So first of all, they, they talk about obedience. What Obedience is a big deal for Mormons, and more, you know most people who know Mormons know that Mormons tep- typically have a good reputation and they're pretty obedient people. Would you say that that's true? Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of um, people that I've met have said, yeah, Mormons seem to be really squeaky clean. Yeah, look, I, I think anybody that that lives a life of obedience to, to God and God's commandments and God's word is is going to be living a healthy life and, and one that, um, you know, the, the goal is to, to please God. Now, obviously, we know that... Uh, it's impossible for us to to live a perfect life and then please God, we're all broken, we're all sinners. So we'll we'll get into this later. But um, but yeah, I think anybody that looks from the outside in uh, on a Mormon home, on a Mormon family, it looks very, what would you say, like cookie cutter right out of a movie mm-hmm. type thing of just like the perfect family. Bo, did you think, did you believe as a missionary that it was impossible for you to be perfect? Or as a Mormon missionary, were you striving? Because you, I've heard your stories mainly from Katie, and you were like, you were shooting for the stars, right? So did you? What you just said there was that Christian Bo saying that, or did you believe that as a Mormon that you can't be perfect? I kind of lived by the philosophy of I'll do my best and let Jesus do the rest. Mm. So like I was, I was trying to be as perfect of a missionary as I possibly could be, and as perfect a member of the church as I possibly mm-hmm. could be, um, thinking that I was pleasing God by my works, mm-hmm. uh, and that Jesus would then fill in the gap. Kind of, kind of like the bike analogy we talked about a few weeks ago, where right. the dad is buying the bike for his son. Anyway, so so that's that's how I approached. Um, this topic, my, I mean, my entire upbringing, when, when I talked or when I thought about obedience, uh, it was all about, it was all on me, right? It was all, um, what can I do to, to live a more godly life? What can I do to, uh, yeah, to, to obey him as best I can. 
Okay, so then the first thing that you talk about in this lesson now, if you're the missionary going to the door and you're on lesson four, you're going to talk about, uh, and this probably would be the first spiritual discipline that I would talk to someone about, and it's prayer. So what I, I think a lot of the stuff with prayer is pretty similar to to how Christians pray, but for, for non-Utah people or for non-Mormons listening to this, they might not have ever heard a Mormon pray. So Katie, tell us a little bit about how Mormons pray differently from Christians. And actually, I'm really interested to hear like the first time you realize that Mormons pray differently than Christians. Why don't you explain that real quick? Yeah, I think probably the first time I realized that I prayed differently than a Christian was when we went to Alpine for the first time. That was the first time I'd heard a prayer that wasn't expressed in um, like the language of this. This is going to sound weird, but the language of the 1600s almost like um, I was always taught as a Mormon growing up to pray with these and thous and um, to address it as Heavenly Father with with Heavenly Father at the beginning. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of weird. I mean, essentially, it was like King James English, right? So you, mm. so you were praying. Uh, now, now the, the intention behind it was um, to be very respectful to, to deity, right? And, and to, uh, yeah, to have a conversation with Heavenly Father. Uh, but, but it was always, it felt, to me, it always felt very distant and foreign because that's not how I talk ever mm. unless I'm praying. And so on the one hand, it got you in the zone, I guess, of praying. But mm. on the other, it was, it was, it was interesting because you were often searching for the words of how to say it respectfully versus just saying it, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. So, so it yeah. was often like, you'd, you know, you'd be, you'd say something like, you know, uh, we thank thee for all the many blessings that thou hast given us. We ask thee to, uh, you know, provide or whatever it is. So it, a lot of these and thou's, a lot of um, respectful language, but in language that you would hear in a King James Bible, yeah, for, from the 1600s. And so when you taught, when you taught, let's say you're 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 making a convert. You know, you're meeting with someone. You're getting to lesson four. Are you going to teach them to pray that way, or are they just going to pick up on it, or or do converts pray like normal, like normal human beings? Do the, do converts pray like <laughs> normal human beings? That's good. Yeah, it's a good question. It's uh, you know, when when I was on my mission, I, I wasn't teaching people necessarily to speak in King James English, for example, during their prayers. But that's definitely how us as missionaries would pray. So at times you'd have converts kind of try to pray that way and stumble on their words. And then other times you'd have people just pray how they, they normally do, which is to address God uh, as if he's right there next to him. So I don't know, a little bit different depending on the convert. Um, so you know what? I, I didn't even really think about it on my mission too much, hmm. but as people, yeah, came to church more often, they started to change the way that they prayed and kind of adopt the, the, the more version of praying. Yeah. Culturally. Yep. And is that the culture outside of Utah? Is that the culture in Mormon wards around the world or is that just a Utah Mormon thing? No, it's definitely, um, it's definitely cultural throughout the world in Mormonism to pray like that. And it's very discouraged to pray with you and I mm. and that kind of language. 
Yeah. So if somebody came in and just say, they said, brother, brother, so-and-so, would you say the prayer? And they just prayed in regular language. Would they be, would they be chastised? Would they be talked to? Like how would, how would someone handle that? How would the leadership, how would the bishop or whomever handle that? I think typically they'd pull them aside after and just say, mm-hmm. Hey, you know, make sure that you use respectful language during the prayer. Okay. Um, it happened at home. The parents are obviously expected to correct the the children in the way that they pray, but you, you'll never hear, sorry, I shouldn't say never. You will hardly ever hear anyone pray, um, to God as, as addressing God as God, for example, you, you're not going to mm-hmm. hear them say, you know, dear okay. God, thank you for the things that you have given us. You're not going to hear that in a Mormon ward anywhere. That would be too informal. Would that be, would not be reverent enough? Yeah, it would be, that would be considered an irreverent form of prayer. Yeah. So, so it's heavenly father and that's the only way it's either father or heavenly father. Yeah. Almost always. Yeah. Okay. And the other difference, I guess, and maybe the, I guess this is somewhat similar, but Mormons truly believe that you're speaking to your heavenly father who is completely separate and different than Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. That Jesus as our mediator with the father um, is who we, so we're praying to the father in the name of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is acting as our intermediary there mm-hmm. for the prayer. Um, but but yeah, Mormons do believe that they're two distinct, different individuals, uh, which is probably an important distinction. So that when we're praying, so for example, uh, you know, often in uh, you know a church or something, we'll, we'll hear Christians pray right over the, this last year, and sometimes you know you'll be praying to God, and and then you you're you're talking to Jesus in that prayer, and and even the, the Holy Spirit. That never ever <laughs> happens. Um, growing up as a Mormon. You, you just didn't do that. You talked to Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus Christ, right? Every, every time. Yeah. So for you guys, this is a little off topic. I mean, it's, it isn't, but we're talking about your, inter- your, your experience in a non-Mormon church for the first year. We're coming up on almost exactly a year. Was that weird for you? Was it fr- like, what adjective would you, would you use? Was it freeing? Was it weird? Was it, did it feel irreverent to you when you heard people pray more informally to God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit? For me, it did not feel irreverent. It felt a little bit freeing and a little bit like, oh, okay. You know, not quite so formal and uptight. It was a little more, you know, it was free and understandable. And I felt maybe allowed to have um, more freedom with my words in prayer and uh, more of a you know, like a relational um, type dialogue with God. Yeah. So that's a good question that I have for you is, is in your, we've been taught, I've been thinking about public prayer the whole time, but what about personal prayer as a Mormon? Did you personally pray with these and thous as well as a Mormon? Yeah, I did for sure. And I think so did Bo. I think that's how you're taught to pray. Right. And I, you know, all throughout my childhood, that's how I was trained by my parents. And then that's how I did it personally as well. Yeah. So I imagine that would feel like you've been saying it would feel impersonal. It would feel sterile. It would, I mean, I don't mean to judge. I just, if I were taught that way, I think it would feel, it would not feel very relational. I think it would feel super formal all the time. I don't know. I think that would really be difficult for me. So for you on the flip side, have you in your own personal prayer lives, as you've 
prayed now more informally has do you feel like that's drawn you closer to God in your in your personal prayer time? Yeah, for sure. I I think that I feel like I said that freedom to use more relation relational uh verbiage and I feel like I am able to speak more freely. I do sometimes by accident slip back into the these and nows every once in a while, but um but yeah, overall it's a little bit more of a freedom, especially because of what Bo said about, you know, how now I have a Trinitarian view of God. And so before I had a little bit of a split um, kind of view where I was only speaking to God and felt only close to God. And Jesus was more of like the intermediary. And so now I have more of like a relational, personal um, prayer to God in the triune nature. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I and look, we're not here to dog on the way that Mormons pray. I think, you know, any any version of prayer to God is important and and I would just encourage any listener to pray however you feel comfortable praying. Um for for me, it, it became way more comfortable uh when I was able to just use my normal language and I prayed more often. That's the other thing that I found that that I did not expect cuz I've prayed, you know, almost daily, like my whole life. Right. But, um, but the difference was, I think relational is a great word. It it felt more relational to me. And because of that, I was able to involve God more throughout my day. Uh, and I just thought to more often and look, maybe that's part of kind of what we've been going through this last year and, and part of accepting Jesus in our life. But I think, um, I, I do think though that there was a difference at least for for me and obviously for you Katie might be different for other people you know uh but but yeah for us i think being able to to speak to god in a relational manner i think yeah helped helped a ton for me yeah so as we move on from prayer the second thing on the list is studying the scripture so again in in the for christians we would call these two things spiritual disciplines but it's interesting it's just dawning on me now they're called they're really more referred to as commandments now maybe that's splitting hairs a little bit but it is interesting that we i view prayer and bible study as a spiritual discipline that's health healthy and good for you maybe for mormons you're viewing it more as a commandment like you better do this and and you know it's it like almost like you're not going to be worthy if you don't do this or if you don't do it right no that's exactly how it feels as a mormon and that's what so I kind of alluded to this at the beginning, but but that's the biggest difference, and we'll get to this towards the end of the um, of of this conversation, especially. But it, it's that's exactly what it is, Brian. Is you, you better do this, or else you won't have the spirit with you, or you better do this, or else you won't be worthy of what comes next. And so, it's um, we've kind of talked about it before, like the hamster mm-hmm. wheel or this cat and mm-hmm. mouse game. Like that's kind of how it feels because it is a very firm commandment to pray, to study your scriptures, to attend church, to keep the Sabbath day holy, to live the word of wisdom, to pay your tithing. We're going to go through all these commandments today, mm-hmm. uh, which, which you teach on your, on your mission as a Mormon missionary, which I did. Um, but because of the nature of it being a commandment and not a spiritual discipline necessarily, there's a different weight behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, and your guilt just skyrockets when you, when you forget. I, I remember, our like early marriage days 
<laughs> we would have conversations and Katie just struggled so much with feeling completely unworthy all the time hmm. when, sorry, not all the time, a lot of the time when, I mean, even like while we would pray together or, or maybe we missed scripture study that night and it just was this downward spiral of like feeling unworthy or, um, yeah, not, not up to par or not good enough for God. And so, uh, and, and I think, look, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but I think that's what happens when you don't understand the Bible and when you don't have Jesus in your life, the, like real Jesus. <laughs> uh, and when you're relying on your flesh to get you to God, right? And I don't know how else to say it. And, and if, if you haven't listened to some of these other podcasts, you're probably a little bit lost right now, but, but that's probably how I would summarize it. So when it comes to scripture study, Katie, we've already talked about this before, but but for Mormons, that doesn't just mean the Bible. For Mormons, that means the the quad, right? So the Bible, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. But but here's the million dollar question: How, with was one of those more important than the others? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, even here in the lesson, it says you know, that we should study the scriptures. That means the Bible, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenant, the Pearl of Great Price. But then it says, especially the Book of Mormon. And that was definitely emphasized, at least throughout my um, growing up years. Even more, the Book of Mormon, I've, I've heard is, was emphasized more than the Bible, but it was it emphasized even more than the Doctrine and Covenants and the Pearl of Great Price? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Joseph Smith said that the Book of Mormon is the most correct of any book on the earth, right? That, that was Joseph's claim. And so, and that you would get closer to God by reading the Book of Mormon than by reading any other book. So that's the emphasis. Um, but the other emphasis here is like, look, if the Book of Mormon is not true, then the church is not true, right? Mm. So they really want you to, <laughs> to, uh, to read and believe and buy in on that story. Otherwise, um, they'll, they'll lose you. So, uh, so yeah, daily, daily scripture study of the Book of Mormon is super important. Okay, so just real quick, what Bo, as a former missionary, what would you say to the Christian who's listening and saying, how should I handle this when the missionaries ask me to study their scriptures? What do you think would be a? Because obviously, the Christian listening is going to say, I don't believe those other books are scripture. I don't want to offend somebody, but I don't believe, and I don't need to pray about it. I already know that, right? You see where I'm going? So, so what I would do. you, what, what would be a good response, I guess, to when the mission, I'm assuming the missionary is going to say right here, well, yeah, will you read the scriptures daily? And they're talking about all four of them, not just the Bible. Yeah. And, and typically as a missionary, we would even be more specific um, to take the interpretation of the word scripture out of it completely. And we would say, will you read the book of Mormon daily? Right. And, uh, and, and look, I, I think for, you know, for our Christian listeners, I, I think this is important to, to establish the common ground, but also to establish the boundary or the line in the sand, right. That you're not going to cross. So this is where you can say, Hey, I appreciate, um, your desire to get me in God's word. I truly believe that the Bible is God's word and that's what I'm going to read. So if you want to give me some scriptures to read from the Bible, I will happily read them. Um, and that's, that's obviously something that we can both agree on uh, and the common ground that we can stick to is as, I mean, if you want to say as Christians, whatever you want to say there, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, 
which is a bit of a stretch, but, um, but yeah, that I would draw a line in the sand there. I, I, I don't think, um, how do I say this? How do I say this? I, I don't think reading, well, I, the book of Mormon is not going to draw you closer to God. Mm. And, um, so I read it. Yeah. There's no need, right? There's no need for a Christian to read the book of Mormon because you have the full word of God in the Bible. And so of course you, you can say that to the missionaries and, you know, a, in a kind tone, but, um, as far as like, if they kind of push the issue and say, no, we want you to pray about this. You can say, well, I've, I already have all I need in the Bible and I have prayed to God about the Bible. And I know that that is true. Yeah, that's good. My, my, my hope would be that every Christian listening to this would be, would speak the truth and love to the Mormon missionary. Don't be a jerk about it. Don't, you don't have to, um, like challenge everything they're saying. You don't have to try to be as offensive as possible. But I think just what you guys said is perfect. And just because, Bo, don't you think if if every Christian you encountered responded like that, like, hey, look, I appreciate it, but I believe in the Bible. I just, I believe in the Bible. I'm going to read the Bible. I think that maybe if a hundred people said that to you, instead of just slamming the door in your face or whatever, it might have planted a, possibly planted a seed for you to say, maybe I should read the Bible a little bit more. I, I think it would have, right? I, I think, um, now look, as a missionary, I studied the Bible plenty, but I always made sure to study the Book of Mormon more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but I think it also would have helped just shine a light on the way I was interpreting the Bible or, or cherry picking scripture without understanding the context behind what I was reading. I think that's, that's a big deal for, for Mormon missionaries. They just don't understand where these verses are coming from, what the writer's intent was when they wrote it down. And, uh, they're, they're just used to pulling these scriptures out of context to support a claim made by Joseph Smith or a claim made by the book of Mormon. And so it's, yeah, it's that type of thing. I I probably wish, um, somebody, and, and to your point, if someone would have been a bit more firm or reliably more firm as I spoke to Christians on my mission, yeah, maybe Mm -hmm. it would have pointed me to God's word more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think you can, um, when you ask, you say, Hey, I, I'm not going to read the book of Mormon, but give me some Bible verses that support, you know, this, this, or this. And then if they give them to you and say, well, let's come back and talk to them about it. If they come back, you can sit down and in a loving way say, you know, that's interesting because did you read the passage before this? And did you know that this was a letter from, from Paul to, you know, these people and you can kind of explain it in a really just matter of fact way without going into full Bible bashing. Now the hard part will probably be these kids are 18 and they're pretty, they're pretty firm, right? They're, Mm -hmm. they're out there giving two years of their life. And so they might get a little heated on you. They might get a little bit arrogant, but in the end, you're just, you're just witnessing to them and they and you can do it with love. And hopefully they, like you said, you're plant planting seed for them. Yeah, that's good. Okay. So that's prayer and Bible study. The next one might not make the list on many Christians, spiritual discipline, or even commandment list. So you're gonna have to explain this one. Keeping the Sabbath day holy. What, what did that look like for you guys as Mormons? What does that look like in Utah for Mormons all around the state? Yeah, so the commandment comes from Exodus 20, right? Verse 8, keep, uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And this is something that, that Mormons try to do. So uh, so the Sabbath day 
uh, Mormons enjoy a day of rest from their labors. So you don't work on Sunday. Um, you would, you make sure to attend church on Sunday, which, which when I was growing up, it was three hours straight. Right. Um, now I think they've reduced it to two hours, uh, every Sunday, but beyond that, right. Beyond church attendance and not going to work on Sunday, uh, there were several, I wouldn't, I don't know if it's do's and don'ts, but for, for me, culturally, uh, there were several things I couldn't do. I, I wouldn't play with friends on Sunday. My parents discouraged watching TV on Sunday. Um, we would not go to the grocery store or we wouldn't go out to eat on Sunday. We would not spend any money on Sunday, right? Because the thought was, well, if you are going out to eat or if you're going to the grocery store, you're making someone else break the Sabbath so that you can have a convenience, which is breaking the Sabbath. Hmm. So, so yeah, that was kind of w- one of the things. Another was like, hey, if there's no work on Sunday, there's no mowing the lawn on Sunday. There's no doing yard work on Sunday. There's So anyway, the list goes on and on of, of things that I just didn't do growing up um, on Sundays. That's why for decades we went to Costco on Sunday. It was fantastic <laughs> because the Mormons wouldn't be there, right? And it was, empty, and it was yeah. It's, it was empty. Yeah, no, and I, you know, I, I have to say, I appreciate so much that's behind this. I really do. I think so many of these these principles, these principles are biblical. By the way, having a day of rest, committing it to the Lord, all that stuff is biblical. But again, I think it probably becomes, Katie, would you say it becomes maybe a little legalistic at a certain point for Mormons? Yeah, absolutely. I mean. The problem, yeah, it does become legalistic and therefore judgmental. So you'll get <laughs> you'll get a little bit of side eye, you know, if you're mowing your lawn or if you're out doing like sports that's not with your family or if you're, you know, even allowing your kid to do uh, competitions like in their whatever sporting event they're in, you're not supposed to do that. And and Utah is different. It supports a lot of that. But yeah, it's it does cause some judgment for sure. Okay, the next commandment is kind of a two-for-one, Bo. It's baptism and confirmation. So some some Christian churches have this concept of confirmation. It's like confirm, when you reach a certain age, it, you're confirmed as a member in the church. Is that what Mormons talk about? How does that work in the, in the LDS church? Yeah, sure. So... For those who are born into the Mormon Church, um, then you're baptized and confirmed a member at eight years old. That's the the age of accountability is what the Mormon Church teaches. So when you turn eight, that's when you get baptized. You are con- you're confirmed a member and you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost there. Um, now for converts and the people that we were teaching this to on our on my mission, um, obviously they hadn't been baptized into the Mormon Church, and so this is where we would talk about. Uh, the importance and the commandment of baptism, right? So we would we would cover, uh, well, we would cover that baptism is required to get into heaven. Um, that baptism by the proper authority is required to get into heaven, and that the only church on the face of the earth that has that authority is the LDS Church. So if I were to say, if you're if you're having this conversation at this point now, you're going to invite me to sign sign up to be, if everything's going right, you're going to invite me to sign up to get baptized, right? Oh yeah, that's right. I would say, Hey, Mr. Brown, will you be baptized? Yeah, that's right. 
this is your payday, man. This is it's time to close the deal, <laughs> right? You're four, le- you're four lessons in. We're midway through the fourth lesson. It's like let's get this thing going, right? That's and if, right. if if I were to say to you, well, I've already been baptized in the Baptist Church, what would you? How would you respond to that? Yeah, and I got that nine times out of ten on mm. my mission. So this is so common. And and the way that missionaries handle this is we talk about the importance of authority. So we talk about the priesthood and that that God's power, um, God isn't a God of he's an organized God, right? He's not a God of chaos, he's a God of uh organization and and uh, he's given man his power. He gave prophets his power to act in his name, and those prophets gave others power. Even Jesus laid his hands on the apostles and gave them power. And in the same way, prophets and apostles on the earth today have given priesthood power to men all all across the country or all across the world or wherever we are, right? And then we would get into, and that authority is God's authority, which is why you need to be baptized in the Mormon church because it's the only church that has God's authority. So I'm not saying that when you were baptized as a, a Baptist, uh, that that's like a bad thing, but it wasn't done by God's authority. And so it's not recognized in heaven. So, so you were, in essence, you're saying, if you're following along with everything from lesson one on, you're saying you were baptized in an apostate church. Now you probably aren't going to say it like that, but essentially that's where you've led. That's where all these conversations have led to, right? Yeah, that's right. Sometimes I would tell people that, uh, <laughs> just depends on how the conversation's going. Sometimes it was, well, your church is apostate. It fell away from the truth and wow. the, the, and the way you were baptized is incorrect and it won't get you into heaven. I mean, that sometimes you were that bold on your mission. Hmm. Um, and other times, obviously you were a little bit more soft about it, but, but the ultimate goal here is to help these people understand that the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the only church that has God's authority. Therefore the only church that can get you baptized which baptism is actually going to be recognized in heaven. And again, Mormons are saying that baptism is a commandment and is required right. to get into heaven. To be, and you won't be, yeah, you won't be saved or whatever the language is. Saved, um, sure. Yeah. If if you don't get baptized, which again is not biblical. So that's but there are some churches that call themselves Christian who say the same thing that elevate baptism to a work that you must do to be saved. And that that just goes against the full counsel of scripture. But all this then. Bo and Katie leads us to the next commandment, which is to follow the prophet. So I don't know if we've really even talked very much about the prophet. What it, What is that? Who's the prophet? Is it one guy? Is it a bunch of guys? And how, what would you say about this at this point in the missionary talks? I would probably bring up the uh, Amos. What is it? Amos 3.7. I think it says, surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealed his secrets to his servants, the prophets, right? So I would talk about how God in every age is going to reveal his truth to, to prophets. And uh, he did it with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Noah, you name it, right? And he did it again with Jesus, even his own son. He revealed truth to his son and he called apostles and revealed truth to them. And he's done that again in our age. Uh, there's a living breathing prophet on the earth today that uh that speaks for god so that's when i would go into you know uh it's president russell m nelson um who is called 12 apostles just like in jesus's day these men are uh men of god that have god's authority to act in in his name and to to call the world to repentance or whatever so 
Yeah, this section's really was really interesting. I'm, I'm going to read the first few lines out of the the manual for the missionaries. It says, "Truth is a knowledge of things as they really are, were, and will be. It does not change with conditions or time. Truth is the same in every age and culture." I, I was surprised to hear that written like that because certainly, I mean, would a missionary not read that and say, "Wait a second, hold on a second." It's changed a whole lot. I mean, we covered this in an episode, the the rebranding of the Mormon Church. We talked about the changing doctrines. Um, I mean, it changed not just from Joseph Smith's time till now. It it changed in Joseph Smith's time. It changed with Joseph Smith over and over and over again. It changed with Brigham Young. It changed. So, and every new prophet can change it, right? Because that's kind of the whole point: is God might give you new revelation. So, am I misunderstanding what what? Am I misreading these words here, or, or am I onto something? I'm not. I'm not even honestly. I'm asking this question honestly. Yeah, no. I, I, obviously, I think you're onto something. Um, but, but I would say, as a Mormon missionary, I, I think we would try to draw the distinction between eternal truth and um, maybe like principles, uh, applicable principles to our our lives today. Right, like culture and circumstances change, which make the some of the principles that apply to my life change, but the eternal truth does not change. So, so Mormons would probably say like polygamy was a principle at the time, but wasn't like an eternal truth. However, if you look in Mormon scripture, <laughs> they do teach it as an eternal truth. So, like, hmm. yeah, you're right. I, you are onto something. Uh, I, I think it's definitely catching them in their words for sure. Well, we'll get to polygamy in a second, but but first, the next list, the, the next item on the list is to keep the Ten Commandments. So that was interesting that this whole section is about the commandments, and like n- nestled in this are the Ten Commandments. And I mean, look, I believe in the Ten Commandments; it's good. But I just thought it was interesting that they showed up at this point um, in the list. Is there anything that that non-Mormon listeners need to know about how Mormons view the Ten Commandments? Or is it pretty pretty standard stuff? I think it's pretty standard stuff. I think we've talked about it before on this podcast, how Mormons kind of rank sin. Mm. Um, and it's no different with the Ten Commandments, right? Like like there's certain commandments on this list you'd have to meet with your your bishop for, for example, um, to get forgiven. And then certain commandments that that like you don't. Like certain commandments you can just be like, hey, sorry. I'm good, right? And then other commandments, it's you got to go through this whole process with your bishop and leaders mm-hmm. to officially be told that you're forgiven. Yeah, I think that um, the Ten Commandments, I don't know, would you say this, Bo, that a lot of these are maybe ones you'd have to go see your bishop about, like, well, not honor thy father and mother, but thou shall not kill or commit adultery mm. or steal or have any other, any graven image. Right. Those would probably be the things you need to go see your bishop about. It's interesting. One of the commandments on this list is thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And I remember when when the church got caught lying um, about their their financial situation. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I, tons of, of members of the church were, were spreading that commandment online saying, hang on a second. You wow. know, we've got a church saying uh not to bear false witness. In fact, one of the temple recommend questions is whether or not you're honest in your dealings with your fellow men. Mm-hmm. And yet we've got a church who is 
essentially committing fraud on purpose for the ne- for the last three decades on how they report uh, their money in order to continue to keep their members paying tithing. There's so much we could get into there. I don't even know if we want to talk about that right now. But anyway, I, I'll just say that like, yeah, Ten Commandments, I think for everybody as you read the Ten Commandments, it's a good idea to keep the Ten Commandments. Um, for Mormons, it's no different. I, I think the biggest difference though is that they sort of rank them uh, in terms okay. of severity. Now, the next one in the list is the law of chastity. And I have to say, as I read this, I'm like, it's kind of refreshing to read about, about like in today's day and age where it's just sexual freedom and just everyone does whatever they want. It's refreshing actually to read this about sexual relations being for one, one husband, for one man, one woman for life. So, so much of this just is totally in line with what we would teach. It's what we would do in our premarital counseling. We would encourage people Young, a young couple not to live together, to not to have sex with each other until after marriage. Um, all this stuff I would agree with. But again, as I read this, I think that that it, I just think back to my my son and my daughter and all of their Mormon friends. So many of their Mormon friends were sleeping around, but wouldn't wouldn't admit it to their bishop or whoever they were supposed to admit it to before they went on their before they went on their mission so it it was almost like compounding and maybe that was just a, an isolated case but it was it's like everybody knew that that they weren't keeping the law of chastity but they but they didn't admit it to anybody so they got to go on their mission right away and the person the occasional mormon who actually felt bad about it and was honest about it they're the ones who were punished and had to stick around for six months or however long before they were let to go i don't know i just so i'm torn when i read this because i'm like i appreciate it but then also i feel like there's there's a lot of hypocrisy probably in the church yeah there is and and look i would agree i think um Christians and Mormons can rally around the family being so important, right? And uh, chastity being important. But, but when, you, when you talk about kind of the toxicity behind it, a lot of it comes from, you know, a teenager being required to go talk to some 45-year-old guy, 50-year-old guy about their, their sexual life um, that they're just discovering <laughs> as a teenager, right? And, uh, and yeah, not... Um, and then it, on top of that is like the guilt and shame from the community that will come if they're actually honest about it. So, so you've got so many people going out on missions who have lied to get there. They feel terrible while they're out there on their mission. They feel super guilty. And then those who were honest about it uh, and, and are, are then either, you know, disfellowshipped, which is incredibly embarrassing for, for many, or, or at least they're withheld from going on their mission for a time. And guess what? Everybody knows in that ward, why that missionary was, was withheld from going. Right. And, wow. and so it's just so embarrassing for so many kids who don't need that in their life when they're 17, 18 years old. Mm. Mm. Wow. All right. The next one is the word of wisdom. And this one is like definitely a Mormon thing. So you're gonna have to explain this. What, what is the word of wisdom for Mormons? Yeah. So the word of wisdom is a commandment that Joseph Smith claims he received uh, and this is again in the early 1800s, right? Uh, and this commandment was to do certain things. It's essentially, it's a code of health, right? Uh, and this word of wisdom was was meant to um, to keep you healthy. So you had to do 
uh, certain things and you had to not do or partake of certain things. And so over time, culturally, what that's turned into is essentially what everybody knows Mormons for, which is that they don't drink coffee, they don't drink tea, uh, they don't drink alcohol, they don't smoke, right? Like they're, they're somewhat, you know, healthy people. Uh, now the do's on that list is like it, you are supposed to eat meat sparingly. You're supposed to uh, eat grains. You're supposed to eat, you know, your fruits and vegetables, whatever, like you're supposed to eat healthy. Um, and then obviously abstain from coffee, tea, alcohol, tobacco. All right, Katie scouts honor. Did you keep the word of wisdom as a Mormon mom, a young Mormon mom? Yeah, I did. Scouts honor. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, this, this is an interesting one because it does say in the word of wisdom that this is um, not by commandment. Um, but uh, as Bo said, over time, this has turned into a commandment and is something that is asked on your temple recommend interview um, to hmm. be worthy to go to the temple. So that's interesting. Yeah. And there, there's so many people that are frustrated by this commandment, especially in today's age, because it's like, hang on a second. You're telling me that because I drink coffee, I don't belong in the house of God. Like really? And, and look, I, I was never of that opinion as a Mormon. I was always just, Hey, God said it. So I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, it's just kind of, it, I guess my nature is more to just be like, yeah, that's what it says. Okay. I'll do it. So the word of wisdom was never hard for me. Um, I just never drank. I never smoked and I never drank coffee. Like, but I drank a ton of monsters <laughs> and uh, got my caffeine that way. So it's like, pick your poison. But but yeah, for, for Mormons, um, this is an important one because, uh, well, there, there's several reasons. But one of the reasons is it's it's an outward, uh, how, do I, how do I say this? It's measurable. Brian, yeah, I can see if you're drinking mm -hmm. coffee, Brian. I can see if you're smoking a cigarette. I can see if you're drinking alcohol, right? So it's it's one of those like, commandments where the emphasis is on what we don't do to set ourselves apart as Mormons. Uh, and, and obviously it's turned into a, a pretty, pretty big, um, staple for, for Mormons and, and something that helps them stand out. Yeah. And enter soda shops, right? Yeah. Only <laughs> in Utah. You, yeah. That, so, uh, yeah, all, all the Mormons will go to all the soda shops instead of drinking coffee. So that's fun. I do think it's interesting that Starbucks is doing very well here in Utah. And so I, I, is it true that a lot of people just don't let their Mormon friends see them drink coffee or beer or whatever? Yeah, totally. But if it's yeah. a latte or cappuccino, is it even coffee? You know? <laughs> I see. Okay. <laughs> no. Well, no. it technically says hot drinks. What is that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's actually important. Let's talk about that. So the yeah. word of wisdom, if you actually read the commandment, or actually it's not a commandment, first off, it says not by way of commandment. And then it goes off on a few things to avoid. And it says to avoid hot drinks uh, and tobacco, et cetera. So later on, prophets have, you know, I say prophets, Mormon leaders have sort of defined that to be mm -hmm. coffee and tea uh, rather than hot drinks, essentially. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, so, but, but the type of tea <laughs> is also very specific. <laughs> <Yes>. So it's... <laughs> Black tea, green tea, you can't have, but like herbal tea, go for it. And as hot as you want, that's fine, right? Um, hot cocoa is fine. Yeah, hot chocolates. You'll see 
hot chocolate in the winter all the time. But but you're right. That's a, it is funny to see Starbucks and, and other coffee shops do well in Utah. Um, but but I think that's the old joke. How, what, how do you always say it? Uh, how do you get a Mormon to have a beer with you? No, no, no. That's not what it is. How do you keep a Mormon from drinking all your beer on your guy's trip is invite another Mormon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's the truth. That's a good one. Okay. All right. Okay. The next, just a couple left. The next one is the law of tithing. And again, I, I think a lot of Christian churches teach tithing. Our church, we teach it as a as a benchmark, not as a commandment. Um, we encourage people to be givers, sacrificial givers, all that stuff. But for Mormons, it goes beyond that, right? It is like a pretty strict, hard, fast rule. Is it true that you have to settle up? I've always wanted to ask you this. Is it true that you have to settle up with your bishop? at the end of the year and what does that look like? Yeah, every year. So so the I mean the basis of tithing comes from Malachi 3. I mean that that's where I would always refer um, people to was Malachi 3 like hey, it's supported in the Bible and by the way, let the Lord promises to open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there won't be room enough to receive it. Like that's that's how powerful tithing should be in your life and if you do it, God will bless you. Period. That's his promise. That's how I would always teach tithing. Now, obviously, Mormon Church wants me to teach it that way. You better believe it. <laughs> uh, you don't get a hundred billion dollars, uh, you know, uh, any other way. So, um, so teaching tithing on my mission—that's how I taught it. And uh, as a member of the church, I, I always pay tithing. I pay tithing all growing up. Um, so, to answer your question, tithing settlement is what it's called. And every year, you go to tithing settlement with your bishop and with your family. So, I would go growing up. I would go with my parents and my brothers. Uh, and then obviously, you know, when I got married, it was me and Katie would go together to tithing settlement and, uh, we would, we would sit in front of the bishop. Bishops typically use that as a good time to have like a family worthiness interview, a light worthiness interview, and just like a check-in to make sure everybody's doing okay. Right. And then they would ask the standard tithing questions. Um, and, and it's really, ultimately it's one question and it's, um, are you a full tithe payer and, and, you know, or did you pay a full tithe? And you have to say yes or no to that question. But before they ask you that question, they give you the statement, they slide it across the desk, give you the statement that to show you how much you paid in tithing that year. Uh, and you look at it and then you got to do some quick math to make sure it equates to 10% of the money that you made that year. And obviously, typically you're paying monthly or even weekly you're tithing so that by the end of the year you already know you paid 10 percent. sometimes you would true up even in that office with the bishop mm. you'd you'd hand over a check for the rest but it was a it was always an intense meeting where you know I, growing up i was very proud to say that i was a full tithe payer um and yeah look i was a full tithe payer until the day we left the church so i think um that one stuck with me for sure mm -hmm. were w2s involved no, W-2s are not involved. So they don't okay. go that far. Um, but they do they do ask the question after giving you your statement of what you'd paid the church. Okay. And, and it's not just tithing that they talk about, right? So we also talk about, well, it's coming next on this lesson plan, but fast offerings and other giving. So like you could give to the missionary fund, you could give to humanitarian aid, whatever. All of that was on that tithing statement at the end of the year. Yeah, and you'll have some people ask, is it gross or net? Mm -hmm. Are you paying 10% on gross or net? So that's always like fun when you've got somebody that comes and tells you what they 
are giving. But um, yeah, I think what, what would the is, bishop? What would? How would the bishop answer that? I think it depends on the bishop, and the bishop doesn't normally like ask if you you've okay. paid it on gross or net. But okay. But yeah, uh, I think that it's also a good way to um, start getting the kids um, kind of used to going into the bishop's office. It, mm. You're encouraged um, to start paying tithing at eight years old. So I remember when I was eight, um, after I was baptized, I was handed you know a tithing slip with an envelope and um, encouraged to pay 10% out of my allowance or whatever money I earned from, from babysitting and things like that. Yeah. And, and look, when we were teaching this on our mission, because again, you know, in, in Preach My Gospel in this lesson plan, it actually says to bring a tithing slip with you and, and hand it to them and show them how they would contribute a tithe and an, and an, and an offering. So you actually give them a tithing slip. It, you, you, you show them how to fill it out. You show them how to put it in the envelope and give it to the, to the bishop or a bishopric member on Sunday. So you're physically handing those over is how I grew up. Nowadays, you can also donate online. Um, but there was, there was this physical element that obviously encouraged people to, to pay as well. Okay. One more in our list. It's the law of the fast. What, so that's a law, that's a commandment. What, what, what was fasting like for a Mormon? I mean, that's a thing for a lot of Christian listeners, but what did that mean to you as a Mormon? Yeah, I, I always loved this, uh, growing up because the, the law of the fast was you would give up, um, two meals essentially, right? So you would not eat for a day. 24 hours. So, so the goal was, so for example, um, if it was fast Sunday and every month there's fast Sunday. So once every one Sunday, every month, there's a fast and testimony meeting. And that fast Sunday is really sacred to Mormons because everybody in the congregation, um, is going without food and water for 24 hour period. So typically you have dinner the night before, and then you fast breakfast and lunch, and then you don't eat until dinner, Sunday dinner. Uh, that was a typical fast, right? But again, you're going without food and water that whole day. Um, and that's also when they bear their, te- when they have their testimony meeting, we should do a totally different episode on testimony meetings. But, uh, but the reason I loved fast, um, Sunday is not necessarily because I love fasting. I hate fasting, but, uh, um, but the reason I loved it was you would contribute that money, uh, that you would have spent on the food and obviously extra if you could afford it. Um, to what's called a fast offering. And that fast offering would go specifically to your ward or to your neighborhood or to your stake uh, to help those in need in your community, right? So that to me felt, um, uh, I guess, charitable, right? It felt very, uh, it linked me to the community a little bit more and, and made me feel like I was doing a good turn, I guess. Uh, when I contributed to fast offerings because it was helping literally like my neighbor down the street who lost their job and, you know, and and couldn't pay the bills right now, stuff like that. Sometimes you can consecrate, they'll consecrate the fast. You know, there's not always like a combined reason that everybody's fasting, but sometimes the ward will come together on that fast and testimony meeting to fast for specific needs of the community or ward. Yeah. But I think it's important to call out here, like, half of the the lesson plan on fasting in this missionary handbook is talking about paying a fast offering. So there was a focus both when talking about tithing as well as talking about fasting, uh, the importance of contributing financially. Mm-hmm. 
um, again, that's no mistake, right? Like they're, they're trying to help these people understand when they become members of the church, they're going to be expected to, to give financially. And, and it's, it's going to be something they have to talk to the bishop about it annually as well. So, okay. So if we zoom out now from this whole lesson, this whole lesson was about obedience to the commandments. And we've already commented that for, for us, if we're talking about this with a Christian who's placed their faith in Christ we're probably talking about it more in terms of spiritual disciplines, because a lot of these things we would agree with um, in, in spirit, for sure. What, what would you guys say now that, now that you're viewing this from a Christian lens instead of a Mormon lens, a biblical lens instead of an LDS lens, what would you say is the main difference in how you understand so much of this stuff that you still do, right, as Christians? How do you understand this differently? Yeah, for, for me, it's coming from a different place. Uh, as a Mormon, I was doing it to earn my salvation. I was doing it to earn God's approval. And the harder I worked, the more blessed and the more approved or the more worthy I thought I was becoming, right? Uh, and now what I've realized is, no, once you accept Jesus in your life, you become a new creation. The spirit of God lives in you. And that spirit is what changes you from the inside out. Uh, and that's where the desire <laughs> to, to live a godly life comes from. That's where you, you begin to want to live a spiritually disciplined life. You start to exercise these spiritual disciplines, not from your own effort, not from this place of earning God's approval or respect or anything. It's just God is in you, moving you to do things now. And, and, and so it's a, it comes from a completely different place for me, uh, which again, I, I did not expect that at all. Uh, I, I actually thought it would feel, feel the same. And it's, it's been completely different. Yeah, I would say for me, the weight has been lifted. Um, this, was, this was something, like Bo said, that I felt required to do to earn my way to heaven, to earn my worthiness with God. And when, when this, when the, I don't know how to say it, but when this turned into something that I am doing in order to establish a relationship with, with God, with Jesus, the, the God who came down and died for me like that, that's so much more to more motivational for me. And also like Bo said, the spirit of God resides in me now. And, and I know that Mormons believe in the Holy ghost, which is um, sort of comparable, but having lived as a Mormon trying to earn and believing I had the Holy ghost with me, and now living as a Christian and and giving my life to Jesus, I there's such a big difference. It, it's and it's hard to explain, but but God loves loves me and He wants that relationship with me. And I have the Spirit with me that that moves me and motivates me. And and it's not a weight; it's a it's a freedom. 